this morning, please, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 26. We'll read just three verses here to sort of set the stage, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with this. The, the Apostle Paul has been, of course, falsely accused and beaten and is now standing before King Agrippa to give an account of himself and Rather than, rather than he trying to defend himself, he takes advantage of this opportunity to preach Christ to the king and to all those who were listening that day. That's remarkable to me. Someone that is in his condition and position thinking of the needs of others rather than himself. As far as he knows, this could be the final trial, and he has made his appeal to Caesar, but of course he is in their hands at this point. He has no idea what they're going to do. And so Paul takes them back through the ancient prophets that all predicted the coming of the Messiah. And then he says in verse number 26, For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Every preacher understands that regardless of, of what you preach or how you preach, it doesn't really uh, do any good unless people hear what you're saying. And every week, every preacher struggles to get people's attention. Because let's face it, everybody's not always in the game, as they say. And so it's a struggle to get their attention. Some might resort to, you know, entertainment. And God forbid that we ever do that rather than preaching the Word of God. But, but we know that during the course of the service, there will be some fiddling with their phones. In this high-tech day, we have to be really careful because somebody can be reading their Bible and following along on the phone because the Bible is on the phone and... You know, you think they're reading their Bible, and uh, <laughs> you might be shocked at what some people's looking at while I'm preaching. Uh, but I'm not, you know, foolish enough to, to think that that never happens. And then there are a lot of folks this morning might be thinking about Judge Kavanaugh. Well, wow, I've, I've struggled this week myself. Some are wondering if the Astros are going to win the World Series again. Some are thinking about the Texans and their 0-3 record. Can they make a comeback? Some are focused on the Ryder Cup because they're, you know, they're golf fans and they're focused on that. And some, well, your guess is just as good as mine. I'm going to make a bold statement, and I hope it gets your attention. I want you to listen carefully to what I say. If I told you that no one anywhere in all of the world will say anything more important than what I'm about to say here this morning, 
What would you think about that? Well, that's exactly what I am saying this morning. Nobody anywhere in the world at this very moment, nobody is saying anything more important than what I'm going to say here in the message this morning. And, and by the way, if you don't believe that, you need to listen more than anyone. The text for the message is found here in verse number 27 where Paul says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? The title of the message is in the form of a question, Are you a Christian? When was the last time that someone asked you that question? Stop and think. I mean, you know, we claim to be a Christian nation and you would think it would be common to hear people inquiring in one form or another. Have you been saved? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Are you a Christian? Have you been born again? But in some form, you would think that it would be a common thing in America to have people to ask you whether you're a Christian or not. Well... Unless I miss my guess, I would say it's probably been a long time since someone inquired as to your spiritual condition. For one thing, they know people are really touchy nowadays, and you've got to be so careful in dealing with people, and, and there are people that will be offended by that. It wouldn't offend me. It'd take great delight, you know, for me, you know, if I walked up to a stranger out here and you know, if they said, are, are you a Christian? Number one, it shows me they care. Number two, it shows me they understand the importance of salvation. And so that's a question that we all should be asking others. In asking this question, we need to realize that some folks are going to lie about it. Don't kid yourself. I mean, if you just stood out there on the street corner and stopped people as they were passing by and ask them, are you a Christian? There'll be some say, yeah, like one woman in Missouri years ago told me, said, well, sure, I am. I was born right here in America. I felt like saying, well, you could be born on a mountain, but that wouldn't make you a billy goat. But I didn't say that. I tried to be tactful, you know, and explain to her, you know, that doesn't make you a Christian. So some people just come right out and lie. Other people will give you the wrong answer. You know, they profess to be a Christian because in their heart they think they are, but they're not. And they're not trying to deceive you. They're not lying to you. They themselves are deceived because they do not really understand what it means to be a Christian. So this morning I'm asking each and every person here, are you a Christian and in doing so, I want to make sure that you understand what it means to be a Christian because a lot of folks don't have a clue. So I want to make sure you understand, and we're going to look at some things and take into consideration what it means to be a Christian because if you don't know what it means, you don't know whether you are or not. God forbid that anybody leave here today without understanding what a Christian is. You know, in trying to describe what it means to be a Christian, I want to limit my remarks to, to, the, to, to the 
reasons why we're a Christian, not the results of it. For example, you know, if we just look at the results of being a Christian, we can say, well, the Christian is somebody that's been cleansed from their sin. Isn't that wonderful? That's true. So a Christian is someone that's cleansed from their sins or someone that has been converted to Christ, somebody, you know, that is confident in Christ, someone that has been comforted by the Holy Spirit, someone that is compassionate toward others, somebody that is confident of heaven. All of those things are true of a Christian, but those things are all the results of being a Christian, not the reason you become a Christian. So that's what we need to understand. What is a Christian? What is the reason? What is it that makes us a Christian? Uh, three things that has to happen. Number one, you have to be convicted of your sin. If you've never been convicted of being a sinner in the sight of God, that you've never been saved. And there's no book in all of the Bible that deals with this subject of salvation better than the book of Romans. And, and you know... Notice, just turn over a couple of pages and you'll be there to Romans chapter number 1. And I want you to notice here, beginning in verse number 18, and this continues all the way through chapter number 3 and verse number 20. In all of this section, as Paul begins this marvelous letter regarding salvation, he starts by laying the foundation of showing us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And he goes right on through chapter 3, verse number 20, all the way through there, just nailing down the fact that we have all sinned. And he does so because we have to see our depravity before we can ever be delivered. Nobody is ever saved until, first of all, they realize that they are lost. They're a lost sinner in need of forgiveness. That's one reason that preachers cannot, should not, ever dispense with the preaching of the law. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul said he would have not known what sin was, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. So if we don't know what God's standard is, then we're not going to know whether we have violated or not. So every preacher must preach the law of God because we look at that law and we see that is God's perfect standard of righteousness. And in no uncertain terms, God lets us know that none of us have lived up to that. So we've got to acknowledge, I've not lived up to God's standard of righteousness. I've broken God's laws. I have rebelled against God's commands. I am lost. We've got to realize that. It takes the preaching of the law of God, and it also requires the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in our heart, convicting us of our sin. We don't hear very much today about Holy Spirit conviction in our Baptist churches. I know we've gone brain dead or something. Let me tell you, nothing profitable ever happens without the Spirit of God moving upon people. I mean, we're totally dependent upon Him and what He does. I can stand and preach, but all of my preaching is in vain except the Spirit. Of the Holy One come down, as the old song says. He's the one that produces 
as a result of the preaching of the Word of God. It's never because of my personality or persuasive powers or illustrations or any other such thing. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, to accomplish God's will. And in doing that, before we're ever saved, He breaks us down to the point that we realize that we are helpless, hell-deserving sinners in the sight of God. And a lot of folks, they, 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 don't want to, they don't want to look at the truth about themselves. You know, they'd rather have somebody pat them on the back and say, I'm okay, you're okay, you can live your best life now. That's what they really want to hear. What they need to hear is that there is none righteous, no, not one. That we've all sinned in the sight of God. And as James said, to violate the law in just one point is to be guilty as though you had broken it all. Because we fail to measure up. And that must happen. A lot of times, and this happens with kids a lot, but not just children, it happens to adults also. But maybe in vacation Bible school or it might be at church camp or somewhere like that and there'll be a be a child make a profession of faith and before you know it there'll be several others just following that one down because you know little junior little junior you know he he made a profession of faith and he got baptized the next week and I'd like to do that too now, that's why I say children are the hardest people in the world to deal with when it comes to this matter of salvation it's difficult because we We've got to walk that fine line, you know, to where in dealing with them where they do not sometimes understand exactly maybe what the gospel is. Or they do not understand that they're a sinner in the sight of God. And God forbid that we ever discourage them. You don't want to just shove them away and say, no, you're just a dummy. you got to wait till you're 21, you know, or some nonsense like that. But regardless of whether you're 8 or whether you're 80, until first of all, you are convicted of the fact that you're a sinner, you'll never be a Christian. Secondly, we have to be confronted with the gospel. Confronted with the gospel. And Paul makes it clear that the gospel is the only means whereby a person can be saved. Notice here in Romans 1, look at verse 16 where he says, It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Now, I want you to notice something. Look at verse number 20, for example. He said, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that is, the things that you can see, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, verse 20 speaks about a general revelation that God has given to all people. That general revelation proves that God exists. And he says that's why they are without excuse. Nobody, nobody can say there's no evidence that there is a real God. Nobody can say that because there's evidence all around them. They are without excuse. But although this general revelation, as you look up into the starry sky at night and as you behold God's creation and you think to yourself, there must be a designer, there must be a creator, there must be someone with wisdom and power that's able to bring all of this into existence. 
So you're convinced in your heart that there is indeed a God. That is wonderful, but that's never enough information to make you a Christian. Just knowing that. We've got people all over the globe that believe in some kind of a God somewhere, and they would all appeal to creation as their evidence for their conclusion. Well, sure, there must be a God. Just look at creation. But they know nothing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be saved, you have to be confronted with the gospel. Notice what he says in Romans chapter number 10. And here he speaks about this very issue of the gospel being proclaimed. Verse number 14. How then shall they call on him? in whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe on Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. In other words, the gospel message has to be preached. And the sad thing is, that we have a lot of professing Christians today that do not even know what the gospel is. Paul said it's the power of God unto salvation. You know, you could, you could go out here and proclaim that message to everybody everywhere. There'd be some people that would agree with you, but then you turn around and ask them, could you give me a scriptural definition of what the gospel is? They wouldn't have a clue. Don't have any idea. I'm so glad that our Sunday school and I had, until Brother Kenneth told me, I had no idea. Even though I wrote the lessons, I had no idea this was coming up today. First Corinthians 15, those first four verses that define the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ according to the Scriptures. I mean, that is the gospel message, you see. That's what every person must be confronted with. You see, just seeing yourself as a sinner, you know, is one thing. Knowing what to do about it is another thing. You know, knowing what the law says is one thing. But knowing what to do about your situation is another thing. And there's some folks got the idea, well, if I just make enough effort to keep the law, if I'll be a good neighbor, if I'll be a good person, a decent kind of a person, that ought to be enough. But it never is. It never is. So let me ask you a question. What do you do? What do you depend upon? Whenever you think about the fact of being a, a sinner in the sight of God and as a result of that being condemned to a devil's hell for all of eternity, what are you going to do about that? What have you done about that? Look in chapter 3 of Romans and I want you to notice verse 21 this time. He says, But now... The righteousness of God, notice this, without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. That is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the answer, the answer is found in the gospel. That's the good news. That shows you how we can be justified in the sight of God. In other words, how we can be 
declared innocent, as it were, that we can have all of the charges against us removed. In fact, it must be that way. Salvation could not be by works. If we were saved by our works, how much would it take? Think about it. If you were saved by being a good person, how good would you have to be? I mean, you don't have any way of knowing, do you? We could never know whether we're saved or not if our salvation depended upon that. But John said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the Son of God, that ye may know you have eternal life. How do I know I have eternal life? Because I'm not depending on what I do. I'm depending on what Jesus did. I'm not depending on my works. I'm depending on His blood. Therefore, I can have assurance because the good news is not what I do for God. It's about what God does for me. So there has to be, to be a Christian, there must be conviction of sin. We must be confronted with the good news, the gospel of Christ. But there's something else. We have to be confident in Christ. Notice in chapter 3 of Romans again, and look at verse number 26 this time. Chapter 3, verse number 26. He says, To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier, notice now, of him which believeth in Jesus. Doesn't say anything about working for Jesus, does he? Doesn't say anything about praising Jesus. But believing. You see, while it's necessary to hear the gospel, it takes more than that to be saved. We have to believe it. You remember when Paul was in the jail there in Philippi. And here, Paul and Silas is singing praises at midnight. You know, we might win more folks to the Lord if we, if, you know, if we praise the Lord more during our difficulties. And that's what they were doing. And the Bible says, and the prisoners heard them. And I suspect the jailer did too. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. And the jailer comes running in to see if the prisoners have escaped. And Paul said, he said, look, we're all here. Paul wasn't trying to get out of prison. He was trying to get in the jailer's heart. We're all here. We didn't run. We're still right here. And that jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, if ever there was, if ever there was an opportunity to give this man clear instruction, that's it. And if ever there was a man that was qualified to give clear instructions, this is it. Nobody had an understanding of the gospel any more so than the apostle Paul did. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say you've got to be a good neighbor, you've got to be a good person, you've got to keep the law, you've got to give all of your funds to the church or join the church or be baptized. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what I mean when I talk about you must have confidence in Christ. You must believe. I'm talking about your faith or your trust or your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That which we depend upon for our salvation. You see, knowledge alone isn't enough. Because there are a lot of folks that know about Christ who do not know Christ. 
They could stand up and quote one verse of Bible after another. They could say, well, you know, I, yeah, sure, I be, sure, I believe in Christ because I celebrate His birth every year at Christmas. I believe that He was raised from the dead, you know, and we celebrate that at Easter. Yeah, sure, I believe in Christ. Look, the Bible says the devil believes, but he trembles. The devil knows all of the facts, but he has no relationship with God. Because he's a rebel against God. The only way anyone is ever saved is to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, to know Him, we have to, we have to trust Him. I think about what Paul said to Timothy. He said, I know whom I have believed. Now notice, he didn't say, I know what I believe, although he did. He didn't say that. He said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that He's able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. That's a no-so salvation, folks. I feel sorry for these folks that have the idea that nobody can really know whether they're saved or not. Well, you can't know if you're saved or not unless you have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, if no one has ever asked you before, I'm asking you right now, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? It's the most important thing in your life, folks, whether you're a Christian. Are you a Christian? Have you been convicted of your sin to the point that you acknowledge, I am a sinner in the sight of God? And you have an understanding of what the gospel is. Because let me tell you, look, the gospel, the gospel isn't in the plan, it's in a man. You see, you can take, you, you can take Buddha out of Buddhaism and you've got the same principles. You can take Mohammed out of Islam and you still have the same principles. But when you take Christ out of Christianity, you don't have anything left because our faith is not in a system. It is in a person. It's not some creed that we believe. It's not some cause that we live for. It's not even in the church. Christianity is Christ. The gospel is a person. That person is Christ. He's the good news. That's why Paul said that He is made unto us the righteousness of God. He is our righteousness. Are you trusting Him and Him alone to save your soul? Are you a Christian? I said at the beginning, I wonder how long it's been since, uh, since maybe somebody asked you, are you a Christian? I wish somebody had asked me that question before I become a selfish, sinful, inconsiderate, bar-hopping, drunk, wasting every penny I had, stealing from others, hurting others without any concern for my family or friends or anybody else. I wish somebody had told me about Jesus before that happened. Oh, wait. Somebody did. One time in my life before I started attending church when I was 24 years old and saved a few weeks later, one time in my life, one time, did anyone ever ask me if I was a Christian. Keep in mind, I was born and raised in Springfield, Missouri. 
That's the international headquarters of the Baptist Bible Fellowship, the Assemblies of God, and, and, and also the, uh, the, the other, the Pentecostal group. All three of those bunches have their national headquarters there in Springfield, Missouri. One time before I started attending church, did anybody ever ask me, are you a Christian? It was a classmate of mine who, uh, who drove over to the house. I'll never forget it. He drove over to the house. I hardly knew the guy other than by name. Drove over to the house and asked if he could talk with me for a while. And I said, well, sure. John, you come out in the car? Got out in the car and sat there with him in the car. And he asked me, he said, are you a Christian? I didn't have any idea really what a Christian was. I heard Mama say that we were Christians. But I didn't know what a Christian was. I thought he meant a Catholic. That's really, that's what I thought he meant. I said, oh, no, I'm not. She said, you're not, not a Christian? And, and finally, I just got out of any way because I said, look, I, I'm okay. I know what I believe and everything is all right. And I'm, you know, I'm not interested in any, anything else. And finally got out of the car and left him there. The strangest thing, just this last week, I remembered his name, Gary Wilson. This last week, I decided, you know, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to look him up. So I got on Google and I got to looking and finally found Gary Wilson. But it happened to be the obituary. He, he, he died a couple of years ago, September the 13th. I read the obituary and he had pastored five different churches, been involved in the Lord's work all of these years. And for whatever reason, I, I'd never tried to contact him and now it was too late. Now I mention all of that to say this. That one young man was the only person that ever asked me if I was a Christian. And you have no idea how much I wish I had listened to him, but I didn't. I didn't. And you have no idea how much I hope you'll listen to me this morning. Are you a Christian? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that all is well between you and God? You know that you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. Now listen carefully. Probably some of you would be shocked if I said, now please listen, I don't want you to come forward to be saved. I don't want you to pray to be saved. I don't want you to come forward and pray to be saved. So why in the world would I say something like that? Because coming forward never saved anybody. Praying never saved anyone. The only thing that can save you is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I might as well ask you to be, come and be baptized or do good works or give large sums of money 
as to ask you to come forward and to pray to be saved. Now listen, you coming forward and even praying might be involved in you accepting Christ as your Savior, but those are not the things that save you. You'd be surprised. I've had people tell me, yes, I know that I'm saved because I went forward one day in the church. Going forward in the church doesn't save you. Praying doesn't save you. I remember leaving Interstate 44 in an old 56 Ford many years ago between St. Louis and Springfield. I mean, I went off about a 30-foot cliff and I was mid-air and I was, you know, I was praying God to save me, help me, or what. I don't know what all I said. But all I wanted was to get out of that alive. Just not wanting to go to hell, just wanting to go to heaven, just saying the prayer is not going to save you. It can be involved in it. Sure, you can say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm putting my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not the prayer. It's your faith in Christ that saves you. So, I want to end where I started. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Do you really know? You say, well, I think I am. No, no, no. I said, do you know that you're a Christian? And if you do, there will be evidence to back it up. I'm glad I said that I, I didn't listen to Gary Wilson way back then. The only person that ever asked me that question, I didn't listen to him. I hope you'll listen to me this morning. And if you can't answer emphatically, yes, I know I'm a Christian because my faith is in the shed blood of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Yes, I know I'm a Christian. If you can't, whatever you do, don't ignore what I'm saying this morning. This can be the most wonderful day of your life. The most important decision that you've ever made. The decision to receive Christ as your Savior. And yes, I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward and to tell us this morning, yes, I right here, right now in this service, I've put my faith in Christ. I'm trusting Him to save me. And we're going to give you that opportunity. Let's all stand together and Tim's going to come. We're going to extend a verse of invitation. But even as I pray, even as I pray, it's my prayer that whoever you are right here, right now this morning, that you might cry out unto God and you might put your trust in the Lord and express your faith in His dear Son who died on the cross for your sins. Our Father in heaven, how we thank You. How we thank You, Lord, that somebody cared enough about us to tell us about Jesus. How thankful we are for the greatness of Your love that caused You to send Your only begotten Son. Lord, we're so thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross for the blood that was shed, for the sacrifice that was made, for the salvation that, that is available to us today. And I'm so grateful that I can look back at a time and a place in my life where I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I put my trust in Him. And I'm confident that You saved me because of Him.
And now, Lord, I pray that just right here, right now, some man or woman, and maybe a boy or girl, someone here today, whenever they came this morning, they've been like they always have been throughout their life. They've never had that assurance of salvation. And Lord, I pray right now, the best way they know from the bottom of their heart, they might express their saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I pray they would be bold enough to come and to share that with us this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand